with you in what you're doing. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. amen. Well, hey, good to see everyone today. I'm glad you made it to Centerpoint Church. Yeah, let's celebrate. God is good, and he's worthy of our worship, our praise. Hey, if you're new with us, my name's John. I'm lead pastor here, and I'm glad you're, uh, you're with me. And uh, whether that's in person or you're home, and you're still in your pajamas while the rest of us are all, everybody here is looking really good. If you're at home, I just want you to know that. Everybody's looking their best. Anyway, uh, I'm excited about this message. This is part two of this series called One. And in this series, we're getting our hearts around this idea that comes through with clarity in the scriptures that God wants you and I to be his people who are able to come together in unity. And we're recognizing that this is something that God speaks to us about in his word, and we're going to lean into it. We're going to embrace it. And last week, we began this series, one, with the words of Jesus and the prayer of Jesus in John 17, where Jesus prayed that we would be one. That was literally what he prayed for. And Jesus envisioned that you and I would have a oneness that would be based on the glory of God. That's really what Jesus envisioned for us as a church community, as a body of Christ. And the idea last week that we set our hearts on was just this, that I would choose unity in my Christian community based on the glory of God, not based on what we're all mad about together, not based on who we're going to defeat together, except for the devil. We're not going to build a unity based on what we're uh, angry about, but we would be having a unity together based on the glory of God. That Jesus even prayed for this and said, as he was praying before his death and resurrection, he prayed in John 17 and said, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one. And so we begin there with the heart of Jesus that came through in the prayer of Jesus for us to step into a kind of unity that, that is... Uh, a certain kind of unity. We're going to jump into the scriptures today in, in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to open up your, your Bible and get ready to turn to Ephesians 4. But while you're turning to Ephesians 4, I just want you to know right out of the gate, this is my message. It's an invitation uh, to, to have a resolve, and it would just simply be this, that I'm going to pursue unity while doing the ministry and growing in maturity. And these three factors are what we're going to get straight out of the scriptures today, but I want you to just uh, say this out, uh, out loud together with me. The main idea of this message, kind of get it in your heart before we dive in, and uh, just say it with me. Ready? Go. Pursue unity while doing the ministry and growing in maturity. That's what we're going to go after, pursuing unity while doing ministry and growing in maturity. And this simple statement it does come straight out of an observation from Ephesians 4, 
And you'll see that as we dive into this. But uh, as you turn into Ephesians 4, I mean, big picture, here's what you've got. You've got the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. If I could sum up the first part of it, uh, it's this expression that you are saved by grace through faith. And it's not of works. Nobody gets to boast about what they did. Jesus did it. And so that's the first part of the book of Ephesians. And we go from that, from you've been saved by grace through faith to, and because of that, you are seated in heavenly places. Yeah, you're seated in heavenly places. Like you get this amazing perspective of sitting with your heavenly father in heavenly places and looking from a distance at everything going on on earth. That's quite a shift of perspective. And God says, and that's what you've got. You're seated in heavenly places, right? And at the same time, though, in Ephesians 4, there's this shift, and it's like as though God is saying, right, you are seated in heavenly places, but at the same time, you are very much right here on planet Earth, and I have something for you. And and I want us to jump into the scriptures in Ephesians 4 with that in mind. So make sure you turn there now or open up your Bible app to Ephesians 4. We're going to spend a little time there today. Ephesians 4, 1. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You have been called by God. You have been called by God. I want you to just say this. I've been called by God. (laughs) That's the truth. You've been called by God. You've been called by God, called out of the darkness. You've been called out of sin. You've been called out of shameful, shady ways. You've been called out of guilt. You've been called out of emptiness. You've been called out of despair. You've been called out of hopelessness. You've been called out of empty ways of living. You've been called out of lovelessness and purposelessness. You've been called, and you've been called into the kingdom of God. You've been called into the love of God. You've been called into the light of God. You've been called into a life where the power of God is flowing into you and through you so that the world can see the reality of Jesus. You've been called by God. Shout, I've been called by God. Come on, you know it's true. You have been. You've been called by God. You've been called by God. And it's exciting to know that you've been called by God. And we might begin thinking, that's right. I've been called by God. I'm going to go out into the world and do something amazing. And yes, you, you should. But God, in a sense, says here in Ephesians 4, right, yes, you've been called, and you're going to go do something amazing, but how about let's start right here where you are with the people that are right here in front of you right now. Let's see if we can experience our calling there. (laughs) And I mean, that's really what happens, broad sweep of the scripture, and you just read it with me, Ephesians 4, 1 again, it says, therefore, Ephesians 4, 1, I... A prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is 
over all and in all and living through all. Is any word jump out at you in that last section of this scripture? Hint, hint, it's the title track of this series. <laughs> One, God does want you and I to step into a deeper experience of unity in the body of Christ. I mean, we read that in verse three, didn't we? Make every effort to, to keep the unity of the spirit, one translation says. Here in the NLT, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. God does want that for us, but it's a unity based on the revelation of who God is. One God and Father of all, living in all, living through all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's a unity that God wants for us that is based on the truth of who God is, based on the truth of who Jesus is, based on the truth of the faith that we share together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the unity we get to experience. It's a Christian unity. It's not a common enemy unity. It's not a, a unity based on uh, what, what we're going to shout loud about. It's based on the glory of God. It's a unity based on the revelation of the oneness of our God. It's a Christian unity. Let's, let's break this down for a little bit. I'm using this term, Christian unity. Well, what is a Christian? A Christian is a disciple of Jesus who's making disciples of Jesus in the context of the called out and called together community of the people of God called the church. A Christian is what you are individually because of your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the church is who we are collectively as we come together. And in that in that community, God wants us to experience unity. He really does. He's passionate about it. He prayed for it. And we get to step into it. But unity, it ultimately has to do with how we come together with each other. It can't just be this ethereal, you know, hallmark sentiment. It actually has to come down to how we're going to interact with each other. And there, there are some ways that we have to learn to interact with each other that can add to that unity. I'll put it like this. So for several years now, I have, uh, I've suffered with, uh, with te tennis elbow. Suffer is maybe a little bit strong, but, but I've, I've dealt with tennis elbow in both of my arms. And that means these little muscles right here in the forearms, I called something like the uh, radialis brevis or something like that. These muscles, they kind of pop out and then I can't use my arms for literally weeks and weeks if it happens. And so I have to make some effort to deal with that. It's this tiny little muscle. It's just this one little individual muscle here on the side of my arm. But if I don't pay attention to it, if I don't give some attention to it and deal with it, it's going to create such a problem for me. So I wear these straps every time I go to the gym, tightening them up around these forearms, tightening them up just for the sake of that one little muscle. Because I know what happens if I don't. If I don't, uh, I end up you know, popping this little muscle, tendon, whatever it is, and then I can't hardly use my arms for anything. Like I, I can barely even lift the Bible, right? It's like a, a difficult situation. And even though it's just one little muscle, all of a sudden, I can't lift my bag to put it in my car. I, I can't lift up the water bottle to change it at the, at the house. I, I can't reach for things high in the cabin. I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? One little thing can throw off my whole body. But the scriptures use the metaphor of the body to describe us. 
And in the same way, I have to give special attention. I have to make the effort to give some special attention to this one little radialis brevis muscle over here. You and I might need to learn how to give special attention to one another in the body of Christ, even though we might think to ourselves something like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not that important. I mean, it's not like I'm the, the pastor over there preaching. Yeah, but you might be just as important as the way my radialis brevis muscle is. Like if you're out, the whole body gets thrown off. And so we're going to lean into this, to making every effort. We read that. Some of you know the, the Bible well enough to, to rattle that phrase off from memory. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Anybody know that verse? And it is what we're called to. And so in the big picture, Ephesians 4, verse 3 says, make every effort to maintain that unity. But in verse 2, I think what the Spirit of God showed us is four particular ways to lean into activating that unity. And so I want you to make note of these four, these four particular characteristics. They're, they're ways of interacting with people that can lead to a greater experience of unity if we'll if we'll lean into them. Again, in verse uh, 1 and 2, it said, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Those four. I if you had a paper Bible right now, I would ask you to highlight those four to circle those four, and maybe even while you're circling them, to say, God help me. <laughs> God help me to be patient and humble, and uh, to make allowance for others' faults, and to be gentle. These four, I think these four are difference makers when it comes to actually experiencing unity with each other. Because the truth is, we're all coming from different places. We see things in different ways. And we're living right now in a time that is marked by what a mentor of mine, Ben Sigmund, wrote about with the term balkanization. I mean, right, we all are aware that in the world at large, things are marked by not just division, but outright balkanization, it's a great word. It means uh, to, to, to separate into uh, distinct, isolated camps that are hostile towards every other camp. That's what balkanization means. And we know that's what's happening in our world right now, don't we? Right? I mean, I'll just paint the picture. It's kind of like this. One group kind of sets itself off over here on one side, and, and they're kind of like this. They're going, oh, look, she's wearing a mask. <laughs> she probably worships Fauci. She's probably a communist, right? Like, and that's that little Balkan state over there. And then you got the ones over here. They're going, oh, my gosh, did you see this picture? This is a picture of people, actual people. Last night, they're sitting at a dinner table together with strangers without masks on. They don't believe in science. They want to kill everybody, right? And so you got that camp over there. Then you got this camp over here going, Psh, you see that? See that BLM sticker? Psh. Those people want our country to become socialist. They think everybody's a racist. They, they think I'm a racist, right? That's like, I could go on and on, couldn't I? And it could get real awkward, right? But that's what we're living in with the world right now, with the world right now. And I'm praying to God it would be different in the body of Christ. I'm praying to God that you and I would find a way 
to come to a place where we elevate our one faith in the one Lord and the one baptism and the one God and Father over all, that we would decide it matters more to bring ourselves into a unity in our one faith and one Lord and one God and Father all more than it matters to separate off and hive off into this faction over here where I'm going to be blasting you. Come on, this is not going to help our world. This division into uh, y'all are a bunch of COVIDians and well, you're a bunch of branch COVIDians. Like that's not going to help anybody. I think you and I need to pay attention to what's actually happening, which is that there's a spirit at work in the world. And it's a spirit. It's an evil spirit. And it is a spirit of strife and division and discord. And if we give ourselves over to it, if we give ourselves over to it and let it infest us, we'll end up bringing it into the church body. We don't need that. We need to be the people of God who are coming together in the love of God. And so that means we might need to pay attention to what we're, what we're actually bringing in and how we're choosing to interact with each other. Yeah, yes, take your stand, but find a way to do it in the spirit. And when you come together in the body of Christ, let the main thing be the main thing. And it is one Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism, one body, one God and Father over all of us, living in and through all of us. That's what we're shooting for. And these four particulars, these four particular characteristics are ones that if we put them into practice, it's going to change some things. So let me just dial it in again. Ephesians 1, uh, 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, one more time. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So let's break into these a little bit. What does it look like to be humble? What it looks like to be humble is to, to value others. If, if I am walking in humility... I look at you and I can see the value in who you are. I can see the contribution that you might bring. I can see the worth and dignity in you because I'm not so caught up in self-absorption and self-importance. And so humility, if I can operate in humility, that's going to take me a step closer to an experience of unity because I'm going to interact with you on a basis of valuing who you are, distinct from and independent of whatever labels others might give you or you might give to yourself. And that would be a step towards unity. What about being gentle? To be gentle is about uh, treating people with a sense of nurture and care and receptivity. If you could look at people with a sense of receptivity rather than a sense of shutdown, if you could look at people with a sense of nurture and care, that would be gentleness. Gentleness is not being weak. Gentleness might be a, a call to restrain yourself sometimes, to not just let fly whatever you want to let fly. I mean, for, for some of us, to be gentle might mean we need to rein in our tendency to be caustic and harsh. And some of us, we just have a tendency to be caustic and harsh. And then we say things like, well, that's just how I am. I'm just feisty like that because I'm a descendant of the Vikings. I'm a son of Ragnar Lothbrok. I just can't help it. 
I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever ethnicity we are, and we'll blame it on the ancestors, right? No, listen, that's not the kingdom of God, though. And in the kingdom of God, you have a different ability of how you're going to comport yourself, how you're going to engage with people. And it has to do with a choice to be gentle, rein in the tendency to be harsh and caustic. And when you do, you will be more likely to lean in towards, uh, towards unity, to be patient. This one's a, a, a tough one, isn't it? But to really be patient, it's not just about waiting nicely. To be patient is really about making room for for the way that, that other people are interruptive and inefficient. Because they are. <laughs> we are. But if, if I choose to be patient in that way, I'm, I might be less riled up against you and maybe able to make room for the fact that you're on a journey. And maybe I've come to a certain place and you're, you're in a different place. But where you are right now might not be where you are a year from now. I mean, think, think broadly for a moment. Haven't all of us over this last year and a half been on quite a journey? Like probably any of us can point to a period of time where it was like, yes, we're going to lock the doors. I can't even step out of the front door of my house or I might get it. The cooties are out there, right? Like we, we might, some of us, right? We, we, probably the majority of us had a, a phase of this last year where we were something like that. Like we, we might have even felt, I mean, I remember going to the gas station and be like, am I going to touch this thing? I don't want to touch it. I might get it, right? And I, and I don't mean to be making fun of the harm that COVID has brought to some people, but I'm not in that place anymore. Right? There's, a, there's a journey that all of us have been on. But if I hold someone else to staying on the same pace as me wow. on that journey... I'm not giving any patience. I need to be able to have a, have a willingness to, to understand that other people are on their journey too. And then finally, I'm going to make allowance for faults. Making allowance for faults. Now, I want you to note something. It doesn't say make allowance for sins. That's, that, that's not what the scripture says. And, and in fact, you know, for, for, to be real particular... Like if you read 1 Timothy 3 or Titus chapter 1 or 1 Corinthians 5, you find that there are even moments where people don't get to continue in leadership opportunities in the church because of their, their, their faults or their sins. There is a place for recognizing when behaviors are out of whack, but at the same time, there has to be a willingness to make allowance for the ways that all of us are just imperfect and rub each other the wrong way and hurt one another's feelings and offend us by certain things we say and do. And God's saying, right, that's bound to happen, so make allowance for it. Make allowance for it. I wonder if maybe you could pray and say, God, is there, is there somebody whose faults I have uh, gotten so fed up with that I've written them off? Because maybe that's the very one that God would be speaking to you about, saying, yeah, I want you to learn how to make allowance for the faults that are there. I, I want to keep reading because uh, I, I want to make sure we have time for this. Because the main idea, again, we're going to pursue unity while doing the ministry and growing in maturity. That was the main idea of this message. So let me continue in verse 7, and I hope you'll see how these things are interconnected. Ephesians 4, verse 7. However, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice 
that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up his church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You can see it, right? That the unity that we pursue is tied to the ministry that we do and the maturity that we engage in letting God do in us. These things are tied together, and, and you and I, we are meant to go after it, to pursue that unity while doing the ministry and growing in maturity. And it did talk about you doing ministry. Did you catch that? Because the gist of what we just read is that God has given gifts, spiritual gifts, to each and every one of us without exception. He has. And yes, he's called uh, a certain number of people to rise up in a leadership gifting, and even that gifting, though, finds its best expression in simply creating opportunities, environments for others to use their gifts. That's what the church is about. And, and so you and I are meant to be the ones who do the work of ministry. Let me uh, share this from a different translation, the New King James in verse 11. It said, Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The saints. Who are the saints? We are, every single one of us. And what do we do? The ministry. I, I want you to recognize this is God's view of his church. Every single one of us doing the work of ministry according to how he's gifted us. And when it happens, kingdom of God grows in and through people who need to experience his kingdom. When I think about my own story, I'm so grateful that there was a guy in the church body where I was growing up who was willing to do the work of ministry. And, and he wasn't one of the pastors. His name was Dave Collins. He was a guy who was in marketing in some business in town. And, and uh, yet he had been asked to be a, a, an adult volunteer in the youth ministry of All Saints Church where I, I was growing up. And uh, Dave Collins, as a volunteer, was tasked with organizing the Youth Sunday. And uh, he asked me and a couple of other students if we would do a skit. And then he met with us for several weeks, helping us to get that skit ready. This was back in the day when doing little dramas and skits was like the thing in the church, right? And, and so he, he got us together. We were going to do like a mime with a song. Does anybody remember the good old days when Christian youth groups would do mimes with songs? Oh, that's good stuff. Anyway, Dave Collins helped us get ready to do that. And Dave Collins met with me. He spent time uh, on that Thursday night, you know, meeting with me, helping me to, to get ready to share a, a word, a testimony, and help me frame that out. He was the first person who helped me understand that I, I, could, I could share something from the Word of God with people. 
Dave Collins did that. He was doing the ministry. And then because of that mentoring relationship, when I hit the wall and was having problems, guess who I called? I called Dave Collins. And then he met with me over an ice cream and shared God's love and care with me and helped me to get through a dark little moment in my life. And that was Dave Collins doing the work of ministry. You know where the pastor was? Nowhere to be found. Pastor Schwarzentruber, and yes, that's a big old name. Pastor Schwarzentruber, you know, he, he, he had a team, and the team was Pastor Sojwal. He had asked Pastor Sojwal to join this team, and Pastor Sojwal is the one who met with Dave Collins and said, I see in you an ability to, to lead things and to disciple people. Why don't you come be a part of the youth ministry? And then there was Dave Collins stepping in. And you know what it took? It took Dave Collins recognizing, I am called by God. Remember how we started this message? I am called by God. And yes, I could do nothing but sit on my butt and watch TV. But I think maybe that God has more for me than that. And so how about I, I'll say yes to this invitation to make a commitment to do the ministry in this church and I, he probably felt awkward, like, what do I really have to offer these kids? I mean, they're going to think I'm not cool. I mean, look at me. I wear fuddy-duddy clothes or whatever he might have been thinking. But he got over himself, and he showed up and stayed late and poured out his heart. And then there was this kid who suddenly got awakened, like, wow, maybe, maybe I have a, a place in God's kingdom too, you know? Why? Because one guy was doing the work of ministry. This is what we do. We pursue unity while doing the ministry and growing in maturity. And, and they're all three woven together. You can see that here in Ephesians chapter 4. They're woven together. Ministry is what we do to use our gifts and abilities to build up the body of Christ. Saint, what are you doing right now in this church body to be engaged in doing the ministry? If you're going, oh, well, I, I just come here and I watch you do it, that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to push back on that and say, that's really not God's greatest vision and plan. God's greatest vision and plan is to see all of us finding the ways that we too can do the ministry while growing in maturity, while growing in, in maturity. Uh, let me read again. Verse 11, it says, now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such, say it, unity, unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Say this last part out loud with me. Go. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. This is what God has in mind for you and me, for every one of us. Growing in every way more and more like Christ. That's what God looks at when he looks at you. He looks at a son or daughter who's on a journey, who is a work in progress, and who is growing more and more 
to be more and more like Christ. Are you there yet? How about anybody want to admit with me, I am not there yet. Anybody? Anybody. Anybody. Show hands. I'm definitely not there yet. But this is the truth. I am going to keep turning in the direction my Father in heaven sees for me, which is to keep on growing. I'm not going to give up because of how I, how I blew it last week and just ditch this thing. I'm going to get up again. I'm going to keep turning my life in the direction God has for me, and I'm going to trust him that he's going to keep growing me more and more like Christ. That's what God sees for you, that you and me would, each one of us, grow more and more like Christ. Think about Jesus for a moment. More and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus, who is filled with wisdom. So much so that something as beautiful and powerful as the Sermon on the Mount flowed from him. You are called to be growing more and more like Christ. That Wisdom like that can flow through you, too to people around you that work in your business, that are serving on your team, or that are in your family. Yes, you. And growing more and more like Christ. Christ who, who, who stood in and lived in total kingdom authority. Kingdom authority, recognizing the devil does not get to stick around here. Bound the devil, kicked the devil out time after time. This is, this is Jesus, but what we just read is God's envisioning you growing more and more to be like Jesus, standing in your kingdom authority, dealing a death blow to the devil in your own domain. Come on, somebody, that's what you're made for. And you and I called to be more and more like Jesus, who is filled with a supernatural capacity to bring breakthrough. That's Jesus. Everywhere he's going, he's seeing the impossible and declaring it's got to go. And a, and a healing happens, and a breakthrough comes, and a miracle happens. Why? Because of who he is. And God's looking at you and saying, right, and you are called to be growing, to be more and more like Christ, where there is a supernatural flow of the power of God that's coming through your life. That, that's what God envisions for you, to be the kind of person more and more like Jesus more and more like Jesus with his perfect love, his willingness to take, to take his own life and lay it down for the sake of others. And God's looking at you and saying, yeah, I'd like to see you grow more and more like Christ, even to that extent of having such a love that you would be willing to lay down your life, lay down your selfishness, lay down your self-importance, lay down your self-aggrandizement, lay down your life. This is Jesus, the way of Jesus. In verse 16, it says, God makes the whole body fit together as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. This is, this is what God's desire is, is that you and I would actually be a body together. Now, I want to congratulate some of you who have just recently started coming to church. Yay! I'm glad you started coming to church. That's good. But that's the first step. God's vision is, is much more integral than just you coming to church. Like what God really wants is as you come to church that you become the church. 
right? That you become that body of Christ that's connected together, that's learning how to be interdependent rather than just independent, but that you're learning to, to value relationship and community and sticking together and not bolting when somebody did, did something that bugged you, but coming together in all the things that we were talking about today and valuing what it means to be that kind of community. God's looking for that. He's looking for that. But it, it really comes down to each of us making that choice to say, I'm going to become the body. I'm going I'm to be connected as God envisioned that I would, healthy, growing, and full of love. That's where he's taking us. And when, and when we get together that way, with that kind of unity, it's powerful. It's powerful. I mean, we all know this intuitively, that unity is powerful. And, and we're going to be deliberate about being on the watch for the, the enemies of unity. Let me just name a few, because there are some. I, one enemy of unity would be uh, gossip. Like, if we just begin talking about each other behind each other's backs, man, that's going to make unity kind of hard. Another interrupter or enemy of, of unity would be slander. Like, if we're going to be talking trash about somebody who isn't in the room... How are we going to come together in unity? Or if we're going to be talking trash about other people in the body of Christ, how are we going to expect the Spirit of God to be pleased when He has called us to maintain a bond of peace and we're going to go and blow it up with our, with our slander bombs we're throwing at others across the fence? That's an enemy of, of unity. We're going to watch out for the enemies uh, of unity like bitterness. Like if I'm carrying around a bitterness and offendedness toward a brother and sister in the body of Christ, how am I going to expect the peace of God to get through when I got a big block called bitterness in the way? I, I'm going to watch out for, uh, for that enemy. I'm going to watch out for dissension. Dissension. It's simply, you know what? That's what those leaders are, are saying. I don't care. I disagree, and I'm stirring up strife about it. That is a word called dissension. Galatians 5 talks about it as a work of the flesh, and it definitely doesn't contribute to unity in the body. We all know what it feels like when we've got somebody in our small group that's like saying, I disagree with what those pastors said or whatever, and, and then all of a sudden we're kind of like caught, you know? Because they're, they're wanting us to get with them and feel their thing, and, and we're feeling this tension. That's dissension. It's an enemy of unity in the body. And the scriptures I read said, we'll make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So I'm looking for those things, because I want to see a unity in the body of Christ that's powerful. Unity in the body of Christ is powerful. You know, I... Uh, Andrew Hopkins was here last week leading worship, and he told me uh, something at the end of the service. He's like, you know what I heard? And he told me what I'm about to tell you. Uh, there was a bridge that was built in Europe in Broughton, England, and, and it was the first suspension bridge uh, ever built in Europe. And in 1831, it collapsed in a tragic way. And what happened was that there was a group of British soldiers that were marching through that particular area, and they, they were marching in perfect lockstep, you know, and you can picture soldiers, a whole bunch of soldiers, and the pounding of their feet on the ground in perfect lockstep. It was just pounding the earth. They got to that bridge, and they stayed in perfect lockstep, and they were in such perfect lockstep that it created a, 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 a reverberation that induced something called mechanical resonance in the bridge. 
And it meant that the bridge began shaking and vibrating at the exact frequency that was able to cause the bridge to disintegrate. And while the soldiers were marching across in perfect unity, it, this mechanical resonance, because of their unity, shook that bridge to pieces and it collapsed under their feet. Kind of crazy, right? Kind of crazy. But the unity is powerful. But you know what I'm envisioning and hoping for and praying for is that you and I would care so much about what God has revealed in his word that we would come together as one with unity, a unity so powerful that where the devil has set up bridges into our lives and bridges into our communities and bridges into our families, that we would march with such unity in the love of God that that devil bridge would break under our feet and the world would know the goodness and power of love of Jesus. I'm praying for that. And I'm praying that for some of us, maybe that we would be watchful for where the spirit of the age would be pulling us off into division and that we would decide, no, there's a way for me to take my stand on things without becoming a belligerent jerk. There's a way for me to take my stand on things that might include some gentleness and some humility while holding my conviction and doing something about it. That's the spirit way, and it's possible. And I'm praying that we get there. And for some of us, maybe today, we just need to cry out, help me, God, because I felt my blood boiling about so many things. Were they kingdom things? Were they Jesus things? Were they spirit of God things? For others of us, I want to just simply say this to you. The reason you're here, if this is new for you, is that you would know the love of Jesus. We're talking about unity in the body of Christ, and I want you to hear this. Christ Jesus gave his life for you. If you've never received the goodness of God through Jesus Christ, I'm praying that today you would say yes to the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus. The truth is you've been wondering to yourself, what do I do with this, this, this ugly feeling of, of shame inside? What do I do with this awful heaviness that I've been carrying around? What you do is you give it to Jesus, and you ask him to take it from you. You ask him to forgive your sins and save your life, and he will. This is the gospel, that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but would have everlasting life. And so I want to pray for somebody right now that you would wake up spiritually, because everything's on the line right now. Eternity is on the line. So would you pray with me for a moment? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you have called us clearly to a different kind of a life in the body of Christ. And we don't want this spirit of division that's at work in the world to infest and infect our body. And so together, we kind of raise up a, a, an immune system shield in this body to say we... We reject that virus, the virus of division. We reject it. We activate our body immune system right now to say it matters that this body be healthy and growing and full of love. And so we, we reject that virus of division and strife and discord. And instead, we pray in the power of the name of Jesus that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, you would rise up in us in such a way that we would be activated 
to see the value in each other and to thus walk in humility and to be able to be gentle with one another, even if that means I'm going to restrain my inclination to being caustic and harsh, and, and that we're going to be patient with each other, even if that means i got to make some space for the ways that somebody else is uh, inefficient and interruptive, and, and I'm going to make allowance for faults. I'm not going to get stuck in offendedness with somebody. So help, Lord. Help us to do that. And I also pray right now, God, that you do that spiritual awakening for somebody else to finally say yes to Jesus. I'm praying for you right now, somebody you've been kind of coming to church, kind of listening, kind of checking things out for a while, but really it's time. It's time for you to say yes to Jesus Christ once and for all. You've been listening to this message long enough. It's time to lean in and say yes to Jesus, to give him your life, to ask him to to forgive your sins and save you so that you will be truly free. And so while we're praying together, if you are hearing me pray and you're saying, I need to do that, I need to actually say yes to Jesus, I need to ask Jesus to forgive my sin and save my life, then right now I want you to raise your hand, raise it high, or type into the comments, I want to give my life to Jesus. If you're truly in a place of saying, I want to ask for my sin to be forgiven and for this gift of salvation to be mine. I want you to raise your hand so that you can make it known in this moment, I'm finally saying yes to Jesus. And with that hand raised, I want you to pray with me right now and just simply say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And I believe that you gave your life for me when you died on the cross. You paid for my sin, and so I repent, and I turn from my sin now, and I turn to you, Jesus. I give my life to you. And I ask you to forgive me and save me. And I'm yours, Jesus. You're mine. I'm yours, Jesus. And you're mine. You're my Lord, my Savior from this moment on. Thank you for this gift of new life. I receive it right now. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let's continue to pray for a moment. As we're praying together, I want you in this moment to to simply take a, a pause and just for a second, just say, Holy Spirit, what else do you have for me? Like right now, Spirit of God is always present with us, but we're not always present to the Spirit of God, like alert and aware. And right now, I want you to simply say, in this moment, take a minute and say, Holy Spirit, what else do you have for me? Would you do that? Holy Spirit, what else do you have for us? Holy Spirit, what else do you have for us? While praying, this picture came to my mind. It's like you were walking along, doing doing good, and then you just decided, I'm going to just step over here a little, and your foot got caught in that nasty mud again. And it's, it's, that's like where you are right now. You're trying to yank your foot out. You're trying to yank your foot out. And it's so bad that you almost feel like you could fall all the way in. <laughs> and here's what else I see. I just see the Father, Heavenly Father, standing right next to you, reaching out. Strong, righteous right arm. And, and, and all you need to do is, I see you. I see you just 
you're grabbing, grabbing hold of his arm and he pulls. And now it's not a matter of whether you can yank your own self out of that mud you're stuck in again, but it's about the strength of God pulling you, pulling you to freedom. So, Father, I, I thank you for that spiritual picture you gave me. And I pray right now, God, that you would do that for someone in this very moment. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would allow uh, for someone. This is what you need to do. You just need to see this also. See yourself reaching out, grabbing hold of your heavenly Father's arm as he grasps yours and he's pulling you. He's like literally pulling you. And I want everybody, all of you, to stand to your feet right now. And for somebody, while you're standing right now, this is you prophetically cooperating with the pulling out work that God is doing for you. And Father, I pray that you would let this, this freedom be real and lasting. And now, Father, I pray too for each one of us who simply needs a strength from heaven for what we've got to walk into this week. I pray, God, that you would allow an infusion of strength from heaven for some of us, because there's some hard things we got to do. But God, I believe that you're able to give us a, a powerful supernatural strength. Somebody, I want you to just open up your arms right now like you're, like you're going to catch it, <laughs> like, like God's going to just pour it out and you're going to catch it. And Father, I pray that as we're in a posture of receptivity, Lord, I pray you'd pour out into our lives a supernatural strength, a persevering strength. I pray, God, that you'd allow some of us right now to feel it, like coming into the deepest parts of who we are, a supernatural strength that would allow us to walk into the hard things that are out in front of us this week with hope. God, I pray that for some of us right now, you, you would open our spirit within us to be able to receive strength from heaven coming into our lives. I pray, God, that you would do it. And Lord, where we have come into an agreement with a cynical spirit, a hopeless spirit, right now we break that off. Right now we separate ourselves from that spirit of hopelessness. And we, we say, no, I belong to the living God. I belong to the living God. Just say this with me. I belong to the living God. And his strength is in me. Just say it. His strength is in me. Just remind your own soul right now for a second. I belong to the living God. Say it. And his strength is in me. Say it. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good, God. You're so good, God. You're so good, God. Would you just shout this with me? You're so good, God. Just say it. You're so good, God. You've never stopped loving me. You've never stopped loving me. Would you just say it? You've never stopped loving me. Just say it again. You've never stopped loving me. And you'll never stop loving me. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your love. Just say it with me. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your love. Every voice, say it with me. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your love. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, God. We praise you, God. We praise you, God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, God. We praise you, God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes. And who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? You know the answer. It's nobody. And 
who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? You know, nobody stops him. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Thank you, Jesus. 